of each other. It's not love someone else because they love you, love someone else because you agree with them, but love one another as I have loved you. So the focus here is not on loving everybody in the world. Now, the Lord said, you know, love even your enemies, right? Um, the old basis of comparison was love your neighbor as yourself. So uh, your neighbor is anybody nearby. And in our digital age, that could be somebody that, you know, isn't uh, geographically near you, but that you are in contact and connection with uh, through whatever source it is, you know, social media or, or whatever. Um, but uh, that was the old um, love one another, right, from the Old Testament. Here, Jesus emphasizes again and again that we need to love Christian brothers and sisters, those that profess faith in Christ, that's the, that's the first circle out. So if you think of this as concentric circles, right? Uh, the, the drop in the, th think of concentric circles as a rock dropping in a pond, right? It hits the pond and then those circles, those waves go out and out. Well, the, the rock that is dropped in the pond, if you will, is God's love for us, Christ loving us, Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection us receiving that love, plop. Well, it doesn't just stay there. When you receive his love, Jesus says, now love one another. So the first circle out is other brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what the Lord focuses on here in John. And then we go out from there, love the neighbor, the one that is nearby. We go all the way out and, you know, it would be you know, love acquaintances, love coworkers, whatnot. And eventually, you know, we get to that place where we're willing to love the enemy. And as I've said many times, love is not just uh, or even exclusively um, a, a sense of or feeling of or expression of affection for somebody else. You can love somebody that you don't really have feelings for at all, Right? Um, love means that I want the best for that person, even if um, they're not treating me the way I want them to treat me, even if I'm not happy with them at this point in time. And again, you know, all the way out, concentric circle wise, even out to the enemy, someone that's mistreating me, I choose to pray for them and to act in their best interest. So that is the, the real basis of love. And I look at the Lord Jesus and the fact that he died on the cross. Uh, he loved us even when we didn't love him. Um, he loved us in spite of the fact that we were in rebellion against him. That's the kind of love we're supposed to love others with. So that gets it away from that feeling love, that, uh, that self-interest-based love, well, that person did for me, so I'm going to do for them. So, like, for instance, I mean, I'm not saying that I only did this because of this, but I just, it's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, I went to Intrinsic earlier today, and Nicholas, who you all know comes here, um, works over there. And he had made some, uh, some chili, some vegetarian chili, and he brought me some because he knew I would stop in there. So I didn't have to buy lunch. That's what I had for lunch, you know, was his vegetarian chili. So um, he, same fella, uh, gave me this recipe for ratatouille. Do you know what that is? Ratatouille. ratatouille. You might know it from the cartoon that was called Ratatouille. Remember that? Yeah. 
it's actually a um, uh, a classic French vegetable stew, if you will. So it has zucchini, it has squash, it has eggplant. Um, I don't know what's in it, you know, from the French side classically, but um, I added mushrooms and uh, Nicholas put a bell pepper in there. I don't know if that's what's normally in it, but it was good. I love bell peppers. So um, uh, not just to eat by themselves, but they're good in, you know, other stuff. And uh, so... I made a couple of different versions of that because you can make it really fast in the Instapot, okay? Basically, you just buy, you know, the squash and the eggplant and all that. You chop it up, saute it a little bit, and then you put it in there with marinara sauce. And I didn't make my own marinara. You can, and you really have to kind of look around because a lot of these pasta sauces, marinaras, whatever, they have sugar in them. That's, I'm sorry, that's just, why do Americans think they have to have sugar in every single thing they eat? If you put sugar in something, people will like it. It's ridiculous. You don't have to put, and the last thing you need is sugar in marinara. That's just, anyway, but there's some uh, marinaras out there that are really, you know, now you can make your own, but that's even more work. So all that to say, you know, I, I made... Made some a couple of days ago, and then I made, I cut up the last of those vegetables today. And so I walked over there and brought that to him. You know, he gave some to, gave some to him. You know, well, okay, so that's, you know, reciprocity. That's good. That's kindness. and But that's not the basis of love the way Jesus is speaking of it, okay? Love is being willing to do whatever I need to do for that person's best interest, regardless of whether they're acting in mine, okay? That's what we're talking about here. Um, because otherwise, it's, it's basically when you love somebody because they love you, it's just the other side of eye for eye and tooth for tooth, right? Well, you did good for me. I'll do good for you. You got me a Christmas, Christmas present. I'll get you a Christmas present. That's natural. That's, that's kind of like, you know, economics. We're just, we're doing a deal. It's a trade, right? I've, I've given this, uh, this message before, but there are three types of people, right? There are takers, traders, and givers. Takers are, they're going to take whatever you give, and they're never going to give you anything back, right? And the worst example of that is people that take advantage of you. Um, and I'm sure we've, you know, all experienced that. And this could be, you know, someone that does that in a, um, uh, a criminal way, right? They, you know, rob you, take advantage of you. This could be someone that, you know, you give and give to, right? You, you know, you let them stay, you know, at your house and they just keep staying there and they don't give you any money and they just keep, you know, taking and taking and taking and taking and taking, right? Those are takers. Traders, not traitors, like somebody that betrays you. Traders, like trading, okay? That's this other type. That's, that's the natural in us, you know? Oh, they got me a Christmas card. I guess I better get them a Christmas card. You know, oh, they bought me a gift. I need to buy them a gift, you know? And it's just, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And there's that in us, okay? But givers are just like, no, I want to give this to you. You know, I see that um, this is going to be something that will bless you or benefit you, and so I just want to do that, okay? That's the basis of love as it is defined by the Lord, right? 
So then Jesus goes on and he says, greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends. You've probably heard this. This is a very famous verse, by the way. Okay. So this is the full extent of love, which is self-sacrifice. This is not only a willingness to die for a brother or sister, and that's probably what is in the forefront of Jesus' mind because he's going to die for these disciples that he's speaking to, but it is the willingness to lay down my rights to myself in order to help and serve. And Jesus certainly did that throughout his entire ministry. Uh, His whole life on earth was about laying down his life for other people. Um, And that culminated, of course, in his sacrificial death on the cross. So self-sacrifice defines the extent of love. And self-sacrifice is necessary if I'm going to love someone who doesn't love me, right? I'm going to have to lay down myself. I'm going to have to lay down my rights to myself. I'm going to have to put my feelings aside and simply choose to do what's best for that person. Whether I like it or not, it's irrelevant. What I like, whether it benefits me, that's that doesn't factor into love. Love is, is outward. Love is selfless. Love is otherly. Okay. If I am calculating myself and what I'm benefiting and what I want and what I'm going to get back, then it's really not love at the root. It's something else. Okay. Um, so apart from the Lord, I'm incapable of that kind of love really, or that kind of love, uh, for those that are, unlovely and who do not love me. I will help someone out. I'll show compassion for them. Maybe you will too, but I'm not going to die for them. In fact, if they're a little too annoying, then I'm just going to stop, you know, doing that. I, it's, I, I mean, I keep thinking, you know, homeless people, right? Um, you know, we have a lot of homeless folks that drift through here and we help them as often as we can. Um, but they can just be very ungrateful. Not all of them. Some of them are, you know, willing to help and, you know, try and do whatever. But, you know, it's, they just, many of those folks that are on the street just have this, what are you going to do for me? And so you give and then they come back. So if you give, then you're a source now. And they're going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. And eventually what I have to do is I have to see, where this is going, and I may have to say, no, I don't, you know, I don't have anything for you. We used to have a guy that would, um, this is back when I used to do bulletins, okay? (laughs) Bulletins, you know? And I used to do a trifold bulletin, right? And, you know, I would print, you know, 50 or 100 of those. And we actually had a folding machine back then. So you would like, you know, run them through the folding machine and uh, so then I don't know what happened to the folding machine. It stopped working and got rid of it or whatever. So then I had to start folding the bulletins. So this guy would come through and he always wanted money. And I said, okay, well, what do you, you know, let's, let, once or twice is fine, but why don't you work for that? Why don't you do something for that? So, you know, something very simple, fold the bulletins. He just did the worst job. Just completely unconcerned. Just, you know, just trying to get this done, get it out of the way. Yeah, you're just annoying. And so, 
But what I have to do, I, I can't calculate whether that person is annoying, whether I feel taken advantage of. What I have to say is, am I really helping this person? So if someone's got a drug problem and I'm giving them money, I'm not helping them. If someone's got an alcohol problem, which is a drug problem, and I'm giving them money, I am not helping them because they're going to take that money and they're going to drop it right into their addiction. So there's a, uh, a resource center, for lack of a better term, uh, in Dallas called Our Calling. Okay, And I've had little uh, booklets from Our Calling here before. And they will outright tell you, don't give our homeless friends money. Uh, so, you know, we had a number of homeless people that were, it's like, the, it's, it's waxes and wanes. You know, we'll have some, we'll have many, then we'll have very few, and then we'll have none. Right now we're in the none range. Um, but we had a number of them that were, they were all hanging out where that, that building that is in between the Plaza Theater and Intrinsic is, right? Or actually the next, build, the next business over is Rowlett Florist, which is interesting because this isn't Rowlett, but she was in Rowlett forever. She moved here and it's still Rowlett Florist because that's what everybody knows it is. But anyway, there's a building over there and there's this little inset there and they were all just, you know, I mean, wherever they can go, they're just going to, you know, camp out, lay out there and whatever. And uh, so, you know, I would help people. So I went to McDonald's, buy McDonald's gift cards, right? Now, I'm sure you can find a way to convert a McDonald's gift card by getting somebody to buy it for less and blah, 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 if you want drugs badly enough. But if you want to eat, it's a quick and easy way. And you know, going to McDonald's is going to get them out of that inset over there because they got to walk to McDonald's and it's not that far. So that's what I did. I bought, you know, like four of those because I'm acting in what I know their best interest, you know, what is I, I believe and know their best interest. Everybody needs to eat, okay? And they can go there and do that. So in the end, that's what, we're, that's what we're trying to do. And this is the basis of what we have come to call tough love, right? Um, so you've got someone in your home and they're abusing that privilege of living there. And you may have to say, you can't live here anymore. That's tough love, right? Um, hatred and annoyance is, get out of my house, go live on the street. I don't care what happens to you. No. Tough love is, you know, staying here is enabling you to continue in this behavior. And I am no longer going to be a source of enabling you to continue in this behavior, right? So that's when you have to say, okay, no. And, you know, you do your best to push them in the direction they need to go, whether they like it or not. But that is the kind of love we're talking about. Um, but Jesus said that the extent of this kind of love is the willingness to sacrifice self, right? So there are times when you are genuinely helping someone and they're going through a period where they're not terribly appreciative, but you can see that you genuinely are helping them, okay? Um, and it's annoying and it's taxing. It's emotionally draining. Um, it's financially draining and all these sorts of things. But you can see that what you're doing is indeed helping them. So you're willing to do it. So we had a, a young man for a while and, uh, you know, Misty's well aware of this particular person. And this has been several years ago. Uh, it was before the pandemic. My gosh, has it been that long? Wow. 
So I guess probably five years ago, um, this young person, this young man was living on the street. He was out here on the square. He started coming to church. He actually joined our church. And so, I, you know, it was getting cold like it is right now. And so I said, okay, you know, I, you've shown yourself to be trustworthy. And so I told him, you can stay in the back room back here for a couple of days. Now, I made it particularly difficult because I shut this door and I locked it from this side, okay? Um, and I set the alarm. Well, nothing that you're going to do back there in the back room will set the alarm off unless you go out the door. So if you go out the door before I come down and shut the alarm off, it's going to set the alarm off. So I did that on purpose, right? It was a way to, you know, make sure the building was secure and to make it not the easiest situation to be in. Because basically, it's like you're locked in from 10 o'clock at night till 7 o'clock in the morning. You're not going anywhere. Now there's two bathrooms back there. There's, you know, whatever. My man turned that into an apartment and stayed there for longer than two weeks, man. And I was like, no, we can't, we can't do this, you know. And there was a solution for him, you know, to get out of that. He just didn't want to take that solution initially. But we worked that through, and eventually he did take that solution, at least for a period of time. But um, it was annoying to a degree because I got to come down here. I got to lock the door. I got to set the alarm. I got to come down here in the morning. I got to, you know, I got to keep watching, blah, 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 blah. And, yeah, that's not a whole lot of self-sacrifice. It's really not. I'm simply throwing these examples out there uh, to give a real-world scenario for you, okay? But when I saw that this was not a situation that was helping him to go forward the direction that he needed to go forward, then I had to call a halt to it. Now, I didn't just throw him out on the street where, when it was cold. I worked through another solution that he ended up taking, at least at that point in time. Um, so, but self-sacrifice is a part of loving other people, okay? Now, um, it should be observed or stated that people can have a willingness to uh, sacrifice themselves as a way to have uh, attention, really. Um, kind of like a martyr complex, right? I just want you to know how much I am sacrificing to help you right now. I want all of you to know how much I'm doing for this person. Then you're not really doing it for that person anymore, are you? Now you're just doing it so that you can get attention, which means it's not love anymore. Now that doesn't mean it's not helping that person, right? If they can get past how annoying you're being, it's still helping them. But that's not love. Um, and we just have to evaluate that. If I'm not doing this for that person and to help and bless that person, regardless of what I get out of it, then it's not love anymore. Or it's at least, you know, maybe it's partially love, but it's, it's diluted. Um, I may want the adoration of, you know, other people or the adoration of that person or even the appreciation of, and of course it's nice when people appreciate what you do for them, but if I'm doing it so that I can get appreciation, then again, it's, it's not love. Um, and I need to have wisdom when I, uh, when I sacrifice, right? 
So how much money do I have to offer? You know, and this is this in particular happens when you're helping, you know, let's say a, uh, an adult child. OK. Um, and, uh, you know, let's say you're retired. OK. You're helping an adult. And you're you're using your limited resources. OK. As retirement is limited. You don't have unlimited resources. You're using your limited resources to help this person. And it's draining your retirement. And this person is doing what? What are they doing with that? Making their lives easier? Staying at your place so that they have money to buy alcohol and cigarettes? Right? Then it's not, you know, you're not helping them any longer. So I have to have a wisdom to know whether and when my sacrifice is really required, whether it is um, really helping that person. Because you can wear yourself out. You can destroy yourself. You can destroy your health. You can destroy your finances. You can destroy everything helping some person that's not doing anything for themselves. Uh, so we can't do that. Um, we do need to be willing to sacrifice. We do need to be willing to lay down our comfort um, and ultimately our lives if that's what's necessary. But I'm not going to lay down my life for somebody if they're indifferent to it. You understand? My life is more valuable than laying it down for some ingrate that's just going to walk over my corpse. I don't think that's, that's not helpful. Okay? So I need to pray that the Lord will give me wisdom, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit will give me the motivation to be selfless, and he will give me the wisdom to know when that is required and to what extent that is required. Then Jesus said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Well, he says this right after he says, greater love has no one than this, that a person lay down his life for his friends. So obviously, um, Jesus doesn't require martyrdom to prove love for him. Now, I hope... I would be willing to die for the Lord, right? I think I would. But he doesn't require that to prove that I have love for him. What does he want? He says, if you love me, just do what I say. That's what I want, right? So when your kids, you know, love you, you're not asking them to go out and buy extravagant presents. You're just, you want them to turn out right, you know? Um, don't buy me off. Turn out the way that I raised you. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I raised you right, and you joined the mafia, and now you're buying me a huge house. Okay? I, I don't want a huge house. I want you to stop killing people and robbing people. And, you know, that's what I want you to do. I want you to live right. That's what Jesus is saying. You love me? Do what I command you to do. Well, earlier Jesus stated that to love him is to keep his commands. He's already said that. Chapter 14, verses, uh, verse 15 and verse 21. Now he says, if you are my friends, then you'll do what I command you. Well, remember that um, one of the types of love, I've gone over this uh, in here before, is, uh, is philia, and it is related to the Greek word uh, philos, which means friend. It's friendship love. So what he's saying is, you know, friendship with me is not just a feeling, right? 
because we're never going to have this equal friendship, okay, where we're, we're equals with Jesus. You're never going to be an equal with Jesus. I'm never going to be an equal with Jesus, okay? Um, I get brought into the family of God. And I'm called a son of God, but I'm not the son of God, okay? You're a daughter of God, but you're not the, the daughter of God. Jesus is unique, and he's always going to be above me. So friendship with him is always going to have this inequality where he's greater. He's always going to be greater. In spite of the fact that friendship is an equalizer, I'm never going to be equal with Jesus. Okay? So when you have a human friend, then there, there is equality that's there. Okay? One of the, uh, the things that you should be looking for in a friend is you know, whether you can trust them or not, whether they will be loyal to you or not. You're trustworthy, you expect them to trust you. They're trustworthy, then they should expect you to trust them. There's equality that's here, okay? Um, Jesus has done everything that he needs to do. So in a friendship with someone here on earth, I wouldn't say, I, Pastor Darrell, wouldn't say, well, if you want to be my friend, you need to do what I tell you. That's weird. That wouldn't be a healthy friendship. That would be me domineering over them. But when Jesus says, if you want to be my friend, then do what I say, it's not that because he is always going to be acting in our best interest. So what he tells you, what he commands you is in your best interest. So when you do what he says, it's good for you. It's not just do what I say until I grind you into the ground. No, it's do what I command you because I'm seeking to make you more like me and make you fit for the kingdom of heaven. That's very, very important, okay? So Jesus isn't saying now, you know, uh, greater love has no one than this. They lay down his life for his friend. If you're my friend, die for me. Well, all of, the, all of these men did die for him except one. All of them did. Who's the one that did not have, end up dying a martyr's death. John, the author of this gospel. He's the only one who died of old age, essentially. So they were willing to lay down their lives for him. Okay. But they had to go through um, denying him first, right? When he got arrested, they all fled. They, you know, they deserted him, I should say. Peter denied him. But Peter ended up dying for his Lord. He ended up being crucified for Jesus. In fact, uh, if uh, church history tells it accurately, when the because Peter wasn't a Roman citizen, so Paul was a Roman citizen. He died for Jesus as well, but they lopped his head off, right? Which is really creepy, okay? Um, but it is a far less painful death than crucifixion. It's pretty instant, all right? Crucifixion lasts for hours. Peter reputedly said, I don't deserve to die like my Lord. So the Romans, being cruel, crucified Peter upside down. Now, I don't know how long it would take you to die being crucified upside down because the purpose of crucifixion is to slowly suffocate a person. Turning them upside down wouldn't do the same thing. So I don't know what happened there, but Long story short, it wasn't pleasant, and he died for Jesus. But it was because he had gone through all of these other things, right? He dealt with all of this. 
um, he had seen what the Lord did for him. And even after denying Jesus, uh, he uh, was restored. And uh, there was a transformation in Peter. And I hope there's a transformation in you as well. Okay. Um, okay. Then he says, no longer do I call you slaves or servants. For the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends because all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So let's, let's look at this, this Greek word that is translated uh, in the New American Standard, slave, or can be translated servant. Which of those words is, uh, or is either one of those words offensive to you? Is the word servant offensive to you? Is the word slave offensive to you? Because slaves were forced into that um, because our country and, and many others have a history of slavery. It's really, in my opinion, it's not a good word to use here. These are, Jesus says, no longer do I call you slaves. Well, this wasn't somebody that was forced to do that, okay? This isn't somebody that was bought and sold. This is someone who chose to serve the Lord. That's a servant. And that's why I think it's a better word. Um, even though that, that Greek word doulos can be translated either way. But I think the word uh, servant is a better word here because it involves a willingness uh, to, to serve. Well, the disciples began following Jesus as Lord and Master, and now the Master um, trusts them and calls them friends. The difference between a servant and a friend, then, is trust and openness, even intimacy, right? Uh, I mean, for us, the best example of this is, you know, let's say you were wealthy enough to have, um, you know, a butler or a maid or even a nanny, right? Somebody that you hired to come into your house, right? So let's say you have someone that uh, you've hired to come and clean your house. Do you share your heart with them? Do you open up with them? Do you tell them your problems? I hope not. <laughs> you know, now, if that person cleaning your house became your friend, then of course you would. But then that's the same thing we have here. The relationship, the nature of the relationship has changed then. Okay? So that's what Jesus is saying. I'm not, I'm not just calling you, you know, servants. I didn't just hire you to go and do the things that I want you to do. Now I have called you friends. So there's a level of trust that's there that results in the Lord being willing to open up to them and share with them and um, become closer to them, become more intimate with them. He says, the slave doesn't know what his master is doing. The servant doesn't know what his master is doing, right? Here, I'm putting you in charge of the house and I'll be back at, you know, X time. Well, you don't have to tell them where you're going or what you're doing, or you might tell them where you're going if they're taking care of your kids or something. But they don't need to know the nature of your affairs. You're, you don't have to justify yourself to this person. You've hired them to do this job, okay? But Jesus said that's, that's not our relationship, he says to the disciples. And I, I believe he would say that to us. That's not the nature of our relationship. I've called you friends because, 
Everything the Father has told me, I've told you. So I've laid it out for you. Um, I think this can be seen in ministry as well. Uh, there are ministers who honestly treat the people they minister to, the members of their congregations, whatever, a whole lot like servants. You know, just don't really let them in on anything that's going on in their lives. And yeah, that's, I'm glad you're coming to the church and make sure you tithe and be faithful. And, you know, honestly, I, if I think about it, it's, uh, let's say, subscribers on YouTube. You know, like and subscribe, like and subscribe, like and subscribe. Well, why are they making those videos? They're making those videos to make money. You do realize that people make a good bit of money on YouTube. Okay? Once you get up there and you've got thousands of people watching your video, you get some serious money. Right? Uh, are you familiar with this fellow who calls himself Mr. Beast? Right? His name is Jimmy something or another. He may become the first YouTube billionaire. I mean, the, I was first exposed to his videos when I saw he was giving away things like Lamborghinis and, you know, uh, you know, a million dollars. I thought, this is a kid. This is like an early 20s. Do, how, where is he getting this money? Well, apparently... When you have, you know how many subscribers he has? 200 million. What the what? I mean, my goodness. You know, the president reportedly got 80 some odd million votes. This guy's got, you know, three times that number of, subs of subscribers. Um, so, you know, they're, they're doing this to get something out of it. Um, but, you know, when you're a friend, you're not just looking for followers or friends on, you know, Facebook or subscribers. Um, you are willing to share your life with those people. You trust those people. You can't trust everybody like that. You can't just pour out your heart to everyone. <laughs> and I, I think this is a mistake a lot of people make on social media is that they use it like a confessional. And it's you're like, whoa, 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 TMI here. You know, it's like they're throwing these things out there and they should be, they should be praying about these things. But they're just posting instead of praying. And they're leaving themselves open for people to abuse them, misuse them. Um, because you can't trust those people just because they're following you, just because they're your friend on social media. But Jesus has chosen to trust us, I hope you as well, uh, by sharing his life with us. Um, well, sadly, these disciples that he's speaking to would shortly prove that they were really unworthy of that trust because, as I pointed out earlier, and as we'll find shortly, they deserted him. He's in the garden. He leaves the bulk of the disciples at the edge of the garden. He brings the, the three closest disciples to him into the garden. Who are the three closest disciples? Peter, James, and John, the author of this gospel. Jesus said, I want you to wait here and I want you to pray. And he went over and he poured out his heart. What did they do? 
They fell asleep. Twice. Right? And then Peter tried to fight for him, but when, you know, Jesus rebuked Peter, and, you know, Peter ended up denying him. Well, Jesus saw deeper into them than that. You've got to, you and I have got to be like Christ and avoid snap judgments. We've got to avoid judging people on the basis of what they're doing at the moment, okay? We've got to stop having a what have you done for me lately type of relationship with our friends, okay? They're going to have times when they're not acting the way they normally do. They're going to have times when they're angry and hungry and tired and um, they don't treat you the way they should treat you. But you can't characterize the person by what they've done at a particular moment in time or even at a particular period in time. You've got to look at the overall, right? And you've got to see into them and you've got to have a degree of confidence in them and trust in them that will buoy them up and or at least buoy up your relationship with them and carry it beyond that period of time where there was trouble, okay? Um, so Jesus saw in these disciples um, that they would get beyond this, and indeed they did, okay? Um, to draw closer to Jesus is to receive more revelation from God. That's really, I think, the application here. Um, God's always speaking, so we need to always be listening. We need to always be paying attention. Now, when I say God is speaking, I don't mean an audible voice. I've never heard an audible voice, okay? Maybe you have at some point in time. I've never heard an audible voice. But I know that the Lord is speaking to me because his spirit uh, conveys that to my spirit. His spirit convicts my spirit. His spirit... Um, impresses me in a particular way. His spirit illuminates the scripture and enlivens it so that it is, oh, that's for me right now. Yeah, that verse, those verses, that passage, that psalm, that's for me today. When I send out these passages to you all uh, in our daily Bible, um, I do seek to pray that the Lord is saying something to you. Not that I'm saying something to you. You you really completely miss what's going on if you say, well, the pastor sent this. He must be trying to say something to me. I'm not trying to say anything to you. I'm not thinking of an individual when I'm sending this. I'm praying through what the Lord wants me to send and sending that. Well, I'm just a little minuscule version of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do all the time for you, Okay. Then Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Well, this isn't to say that the disciples' decision is irrelevant. It's not to say that your decision to follow Jesus is unimportant. Um, it is not validation of the Calvinist position of irresistible grace, meaning that Jesus chose you. You didn't really have any choice in the matter. That's nonsense. Okay, you do have a choice in the matter, and your choice does matter. However, um, the Lord has set up this whole thing, and 
he has chosen to offer you the opportunity. If he didn't offer you the opportunity, your choice wouldn't matter at all, right? It's kind of like, let's say there's a job opening somewhere. The job opening is advertised, right? So you dress up in your best outfit and you go walking into that and you say, I'm here for the job. <laughs> okay. And let's say, you know, you see a desk over there and you just go sit down behind the desk and you start rifling through the desk and trying to figure out what to do for this job. And, you know, the person that is the manager or whatever would come over to you and say, uh, what are you doing here? Well, I'm here for the job. I'm here to do this job. Well, we didn't hire you. We didn't offer you the job. It's irrelevant what you think or what you say or what you want if it's not offered to you. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? If he doesn't offer you the opportunity to be a disciple, then you can follow him around like a lost puppy dog all day long and it's not going to make a difference at all. He has to offer that to you. Well, he's promised that um, whosoever will may come. He's offered that opportunity. He sent out the call to come to him and to follow him. And so as a result, the difference is now I walk in and they offer me the job. Now, if they offer me the job, do I have the right to refuse it? Sure. I can say, nah, I don't want that after all. Walk out the door. Are you employed then? No. Are they going to pay you? No. Okay. But they offer you the job. Okay. The call goes out. You come. Then they offer you the job. And you say, yes, I will take this job. Now you learn, you know, the protocols. Uh, you learn the, the duties, responsibilities of that job. And you start doing it. I don't see how that's any different than following Jesus. He sent out the call. We come. He says, okay, you can be one of my disciples. But it's his choice that matters. That's why he says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. It's my choice that matters, Jesus is saying. And we need to understand that. We have this tendency to think that, you know, we've chosen Jesus, so he somehow has to take us in. He doesn't have to do anything. He didn't have to come to earth become a human being. He didn't have to die on the cross and he doesn't have to deal with our nonsense, but he does. He loves us. Okay. Um, this brings up the doctrine of uh, what is called prevenient grace. Prevenient means it happens before. God must make a way in order for me to come to him. God has to move first or I will not be able to move. God has to move first or me moving toward him would be irrelevant. If God doesn't choose to be found, my search for him is in vain. Indeed, apart from God calling me, I wouldn't have come to him at all. God's permission is essential to our relationship with him. My good deeds, even my faith doesn't obligate God to do anything. He chose to send Jesus to make a way. He chose to convict me and call me through the Holy Spirit. Now, you and I must choose to respond or reject that. Okay? We respond to it positively or we reject it. Um, uh, praise God. 
uh, I, for my part, responded by coming to Jesus, and I still choose to respond to his teaching and the Spirit's conviction, and I hope you do too, and I hope you do too, okay? Um, It is Christ's will and command that you and I bear fruit. So notice what he says here. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. But it doesn't stop there. And I appointed you to do what? That you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would respain. Would respain? What is that word? Would remain. All right? It's Christ's will that we bear fruit and that our fruit will stick, um, will endure. It's not an option. I don't quote unquote, get saved and then continuing, continue my life the way I lived it before. So what is this abiding fruit? Okay. I've chosen you that you may, um, and appointed you that you may bear fruit, fruit that will remain or abide. First of all, this means a transformed Christ-like life that doesn't fall away like Judas did. Jesus is choosing you so that you will bear Christ-like character in your life. You become more and more like Jesus. So this is what you were saying a moment ago, Misty, the people are asking you, wow, there's a difference in you. I want to check that out. I want to figure that out. Okay. Well, you know, in the limited amount of time that I've known you, it's obvious that the Lord has changed you and he's, you know, made you more like him. And if you're anything like me, you'll say, yeah, but not enough. Okay. You know, there's just all sorts of things that need to change in me. Uh, well, that's the nature of having that, re, you know, relationship of a disciple, having this, this spirit living within you. But that's the first level of fruit. I bear the, the Christ-like character in me, right? The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I produce that fruit in my life. And then the next level is I make disciples. I obey Christ's command. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go into all the world and what? Make disciples, make more followers. Now, it doesn't mean make, like mold them or force them, okay? It means that I create those opportunities uh, for people to follow Jesus like I have followed Jesus. I point the way to Jesus, right? That's the kind of fruit that I need to bear And that needs to be abiding fruit, right? It doesn't just go away. Um, So then the last thing that uh, the Lord says, um, he says, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you, right? So this is how we're going to be able to consistently bear this fruit um, is that we pray without ceasing, all right? Jesus reminds the disciples of the power of prayer because he goes to the Father to intercede. That's what he said in in the last chapter, in John 14, 12. He said, the things that I do and greater things than these will you do because I go to the Father. So I'm connected to that power through prayer. We're not expected to bear fruit by ourselves. Yes, we're commanded to go into all the world and make disciples, but we must pray as we go. This is a powerful promise And it is repeated three times in John 14 through 16. John 14, 13 through 14, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
And then here, he says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I will give you. And then uh, in chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name, he says to those disciples. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. So we need to pray with faith in this powerful promise. This is mountain-moving faith. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 21, 21 and 22? This is in the wake of Jesus cursing the fig tree and it withered from the root. And they said, wow, how did that happen? And Jesus, uh, and Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in, for, in prayer, believing you will receive. Do you pray like that? That's how we make lasting fruit. That's how we have lasting fruit. And then finally, I said he bracketed this passage with this command to love. And so here it is at the very end of the passage. This I command you that you love one another. Well, lest the disciples become selfish and power hungry and lose perspective regarding the purpose of prayer, Jesus reminds them again to love one another. Wow, I've got all this power in prayer. I can ask Jesus for whatever I want. I don't care what you want. I don't, I don't need to worry about you. No, Jesus said, you need to remember why you're doing this. You're not doing this to get what you want. I want a Mercedes. I want a Lamborghini. Lord, I'm just going to pray, you know, for a mansion or, what, you know, whatever it is, self-seeking. And there are, you know, health, wealth, gospel people that would encourage that. And Jesus ends this by saying, nope, I command you that you love one another. The highest prayer or level of prayer, if you want to call it that, is intercession, praying for other people and seeing that that takes place. So that's why we, you know, try to start with prayer requests and see what the Lord says there. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. And I hope to see you Sunday. God bless you.